0: Choir, and thank you, Dr. Long. Death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? Yes, sir. I got you. I got you. Be patient. I got you. He <laughs> interrupted me right in the middle of First Corinthians 15. <laughs> victory has come through Jesus Christ, our Lord. If you have your Bibles with you, open to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18, beginning in verse 31, we'll read through the end of the chapter. Actually, uh, Ben has read for us verses 35 through the end of the chapter, and so I'm going to just read 31 through 34, okay? So Luke chapter 18, beginning in verse 31, it says, And taking the twelve, he said to them, See, we are going to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise. But they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them. And they did not grasp what was said. grass withers and the flower fades. But the word of our God, it stands forever. Let's pray together. Father, as we come now to this portion of your holy and inerrant word. Father, we have heard it read. We pray that you would open our eyes to it. Lord, we're going to see in this passage that without the the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, uh, this book can never come alive to us. It can never live to us the way that it should. We cannot apply these truths to our hearts magically or by our own will. We need you to work in us. And so we pray that you would be faithful to do that now. Now, Lord, you have promised to be with your people. You have promised that your word will not come back void. So we pray that that you would, we cling to those promises, even now. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Open my eyes that I may see. You know, well, often when uh, someone tells us something that is outlandish or something that seems out of the realm of possibility, uh, we use that saying, I will believe it when I see it. Now, I know I've been to this well one too many times, and so I know you're tired of it, but I'm going to go there one more time. If anybody had told me about two years ago around this time that Mississippi State or Ole Miss, either one, would have won a national championship in a major college sport, I would have said, yeah, right, I'll believe it when I see it. It was so far from the realm of possibility that there had been so many disappointments and it was going to take visual evidence, visual proof, before I could even begin to fathom that something like that could be true. I believe it when I see it. But you know, sometimes there, there are cases where, where even visual proof is not enough to convince us. For instance, if you, as I stand here today, both Mississippi State and Ole Miss have won national championships in the same sport no less and they did it in back-to-back seasons now I know for a fact that this has happened I saw it with my eyes I do not believe it still to this day there is visual proof you can go watch the video but it's like watching those videos of the Loch Ness Monster or Bigfoot you just can't possibly believe that something like that could be true right our own personal biases our own experience Maybe even our good common sense. They tell us that this cannot possibly have happened. So sometimes, even seeing is not enough to make us believe, right? I'll begin there this morning because as we look to our passage today, we see the reality of this truth in the surprising contrast that Luke presents us here. You know, over and over again in this gospel, he's given us these great contrasts, whether it's the Pharisees uh, and the tax collectors, the the people that Jesus is associating with versus the people that that they all expected him to associate with. And here he gives us another one of these great contrasts. But this one is is more surprising in its content. You know, the disciples who, as far as we know, their, their eyesight was perfectly fine uh, they are unable to see, they are unable to understand the spiritual truths found in the pages of Scripture, and they're unable to, to receive the word that Jesus says to them here. They're unable to receive the word of the Messiah, that they've seen do such wonderful and amazing and great things. On the other hand, however, this blind man that, that Luke introduces us to in this passage, He is able to see with clarity both his great need and also the truth of who Jesus is. By the power of the Holy Spirit, his eyes, the eyes of his heart, as Ben said, they are opened so that he might behold glorious and wonderful things in God's Word and in God's Son, who not only grants him physical sight here, but who also grants him eternal life. Eternal life, as we've just been reminded, where we will see our Savior face to face. We will behold him that way for all of eternity. Friends, what we are going to find here in this passage today is that when it comes to spiritual matters, when it comes to Jesus and eternity, seeing is not always believing. But instead, instead, it is believing that leads to seeing. The question, of course, for each one of us is, are you, are we believing? Are we believing in Christ today? Well, that's what's before us. Let's look at it together. The first thing I want you to notice in this passage is seeing, yeah, not believing. You see it there in verses 31 through 33. Uh, Jesus here for the third time in Luke's gospel. He foretells, he predicts his death. And I want you to notice here, as it is the third time, he gives us the the most detail that he has given us in any other of these predictions. Uh, He says there uh, in, in verse 32 For he, the Son of Man, will be delivered over to the Gentiles. He will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise. Now, having the the benefit of perspective, being able to stand on this side of the cross, we can look back to what Jesus says here and recognize that what he is giving them is, is almost scarily accurate information, right? We can see Jesus before the Gentiles. We can see him before the Romans, before Pilate. We can see him being mocked. Uh, by the great crowds of Jews and Gentiles alike. We can hear them asking or saying, here's the King of the Jews. We can hear them reviling our Savior. Get yourself down from that cross. Go and save yourself. We can see him as he suffers. The guards, the people coming by, spitting on him, treating him with contempt see him flogged and beaten with a crown of thorns. Crucified. like ours and that gives us great comfort that should give us great great peace to know in his human nature he was like us we know that that the Holy Spirit does reveal many things to him and that ultimately that is how he knows these things is the Holy Spirit's work in his life but notice notice specifically here how is it that the Holy Spirit has revealed these things to him go back to verse 31 it says see we are going up to Jerusalem And everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. Everything that is written. In other words, where Jesus is getting all of this is from the pages of Scripture that are open before you today. He recognized in Psalm 22, you remember he says that from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He recognizes in those words the reality of what he had come to do. He recognizes in Isaiah 53 the suffering servant. The fact that he would take the sins of his people. That he would be crushed for our iniquities. That God would pour out his wrath upon it. Not only does he recognize it in those specific things, but he recognizes in the animal sacrifices, in the temple... In Israel itself, all the types and the shadows that pointed ahead to the reality of what He had come to do, right? This is the book of Hebrews in a nutshell. All of these great things that happened in the past, that they were, they were shadows. They were just sketches of the reality that was to come. And it came in Jesus Himself. He sees all of that. He also saw in God's promises... What would be required to fulfill those promises? Think about Genesis three fifteen. Yes, the serpent, the, the, the seed would crush the head of the serpent. But what does the serpent do? He heals he, he he bruises his heel. Right. The seed, he doesn't come out unscathed. And so, through the Word of God, Jesus is able to discern what is to come. And he believes with complete surety that these things must and will happen. Now friends, I want to submit to you that that's important for us to recognize on two levels. First, just a broad, just pull back from the text and get a broad perspective of this. Notice, we read it, where is Jesus going right now? Where does he know he's going? He's going to Jerusalem. And he knows full well what awaits him when he gets there. He is convinced that he is going there to die. So as you think about that, what that reminds us is that every act of his life that we read in the pages of Scripture, every act is an act of obedience to his Father, his act of obedience, where he is following the law, where he is keeping it perfectly on our behalf. His passive obedience where He goes to the cross and the wrath of God is poured out on Him. All the emotional turmoil that that He endures in the garden. Every bit of that is an act of obedience to His Father. And it is an act of grace and mercy to you and to me. Everything that Jesus did in the incarnation is amazing grace. Friends, if you knew you were going there to die, eventually, I would have hesitation. I would say, hang on, maybe we need to rethink this thing. Jesus, he presses on. And so we have this, this wider perspective. I, I put Hebrews 12 there at the top of your bulletin. But you know this verse, for the joy set before him, he endured that the shame, the mockery, all those things that, that he mentions in Luke, he endures it all. For that joy set before me. For you and I to, to fulfill the will of his Father. So we rejoice in that truth. But to pull it back down a, a little bit tighter. You know, when we consider the, the source of all of this information. That it is God's word that, that has revealed these things to him. We realize that, that the foretelling that he gives here. It's not something that, that is locked away. It's not some secret truth. You know, there was a Gnostic heresy about this time in history, in Jesus' time, right after Jesus. And they claimed to have this secret truth that only they knew. And the only way that you can be a part of, of, of God is to know this truth that they have. Well, notice how Jesus, that, that's not the case with our God. He, he has revealed clearly to us the secret things, right? He, he's not hid His truth from us. Jesus is able to find these things in the Word. I want you to notice, who is it that doesn't receive the Word? Who is it that doesn't understand what Jesus is saying? Well, certainly it's the Jews generally, they don't understand. But specifically here, notice his disciples. Verse 34, he says, But they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what was said. The question is, why is that? Why can't they see clearly what is Jesus is expressing so clearly here in these words? Well, first, we have to acknowledge what it says there, that these things were hidden from them, Right? Uh, and it's a reminder to us that, that in redemptive history, God, he reveals things and he hides things, right? Uh, some have taken this to mean that God did not reveal these things to them in this way. And maybe that's true. Uh, certainly, it was not time for them to know all of these things yet. And throughout Scripture, we see God doing this over and over and over again. Already in this gospel, Luke has said, Jesus has said of the little children, I thank you that you have revealed these things to them and not to those who are great and those who are powerful. Uh, and so often th- there is a sense, and actually it's not a sense, it's the truth. We're hearing, seeing, understanding. It's always the work of God in our lives. I want to read to you just uh, real quickly from the Confession. Uh, in chapter 1, and verse 5, it says, or in, uh, in section 5, "...as we may be moved and induced by the testimony of the church to a high and reverent esteem of the Holy Scripture." And the heaviness of the matter, the efficacy of the doctrine, the majesty of the style, the consent of all the parts, the scope of the whole, the full discovery it makes of the only way of man's salvation, the many other incomparable excellencies, and the entire perfection thereof. All that it says, we may be convinced that this really is what, what we believe that it is. Our arguments whereby it doth abundantly evidence itself to be the word of God. Yet notwithstanding our full persuasion and assurance of the infallible truth and divine authority thereof is from the inward work of the Holy Spirit, bearing witness by and with the word to our hearts. In other words, it is only by the work of the Holy Spirit that we can see God's truth here. So we have to acknowledge that, but at the same time we can't deny man's responsibility in these things either, right? Uh, As you go to the pages of scripture, we don't have time to to really delve into this the way that we should. But these two pillars, God's sovereignty and man's responsibility, they stand together, right? The the Bible never tries to um, uh, bring the two together, never tries to reconcile the two. That they stand together always. And so, as we think, as as we view these disciples, we have to ask, or we have to recognize their own part. And not seeing clearly what God, what Jesus reveals here from the Word. You could think about their their Jewish worldview. They expected a glorious, majestic, ruling Messiah, one who, who death was not an option for, even given all of those Old Testament references. They never expected the Messiah to come the way that Jesus did. And so they had this sort of cultural bias. More than that, and this is, this is where the rubber meets the road. So if I've lost you, come back to me right here, okay? There's a spiritual issue here. It's not just a cultural bias that they have, but it's a spiritual issue. Again, the, the whole sacrificial system, the law, as we read in the catechism this morning, it was all there for what purpose? To point them to Jesus, to show them that the blood of bulls and goats could not do for them permanently what they needed it to do. They needed a greater sacrifice. They needed a greater Savior. Not only that, but they needed someone to fulfill all of those great promises that the Father had given. They needed a seed. They needed a king. They needed. Messiah and here is Jesus for the third time expressly telling him that that's exactly who he is because of their spiritual blindness they cannot see it they cannot recognize it maybe it's a failure to recognize their own sin maybe it's a failure to recognize how bad that sin truly is in the sight of God maybe it's a failure to recognize what it would cost to forgive that sin. Whatever it is, they fail to understand what Jesus is saying to them. There's a great warning in that to us today. As we wrestle with our own cultural and personal notions, as we think about our own theological biases, as we think about our own spiritual blindness. You know, again, I won't take the time to read it, but the confession says that, that the word is clear. That it's clear and it's saving message to all. That any can understand it. And yet we know that the world doesn't recognize its truths. Often we, as God's people, don't recognize its truths. Like the disciples, we are often too blind to the word and blind to the Savior that we find there. Our physical eyes they are just fine, but the eyes of our hearts, they are blind. So seeing, seeing is not always believing. So what do we do? What do we do? That leads us to our second point, believing and seeing. And you see it here in the story of this blind man that Jesus encounters in verses 35 through 43. He's there at the gate where he probably spends most of his days begging for for someone to just give him anything. Uh, He cannot see this great crowd passes by. He inquires, who is it that is here? Why is there such a fuss going on? They tell him, Jesus of Nazareth is here. And somehow this man has heard the word of Jesus. Somehow he knows what it is that he has been doing. And so what does he do there? He cries out to him in verse 38. He says, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And even there when they continue to tell him, no, you've got to stop talking. What does he do? He continues to cry out, son of David, have mercy on me. Now I want us to recognize in that one little phrase, Son of David, have mercy on me. This man shows himself that that he may be physically blind, but he sees far more than even the disciples see, right? He sees in that one little phrase so much. He sees so much about himself as being reminded as he recognizes his great need. Yes, he is blind and eventually he asks for his physical sight back. But what is it that he actually cries out to Jesus for? Mercy. Now, if you go back through the pages of Scripture, what you're going to find is most often that term mercy is associated with salvation, it's associated with forgiveness of sins. Think of David in Psalm 51. God be merciful to me. You think about the tax collector in this chapter of Luke, just before. God have mercy on me. A sinner. Whether this blind man recognizes it or not, he is crying out for Jesus to do for him exactly what Jesus came to do. To bring salvation. Recognizes it in himself. His great need. He also recognizes much about Jesus. Notice how he addresses him in two different ways. First, he addresses him as son of David, right? That's not a term that you find very often in the pages of Scripture, but it was one that was very well known among the Jews because it was a messianic title. What was it that they were, their hopes were resting on? What were they waiting on? Waiting on a Davidic king to come and to free them, to give them the authority and the power that they had under David and under Solomon. They were waiting for somebody, a political leader, to come and to plow over the Romans, right? They said, son of David. Now they got that wrong... But it was a messianic title. And so when this, this blind man, when he refers to Jesus in that way, he's saying, you are that Davidic king. This is why Matthew begins his, his uh, gospel in his uh, genealogy by saying, Jesus is the son of Abraham and the son of David. It's a book written to Jews. He wants them to know that he truly is that king and this blind man he recognizes that truth here but notice also there he he recognizes in verse 41 he calls him lord he says lord let me recover my sight now that greek word uh, kurios lord it's the the same word that they use in the septuagint which is the the greek translation of the old testament that's the word they use to translate lord over and over and over again god is is curious. it's the same word that thomas uses in john chapter 20 when he sees jesus and he says my lord and my god Curious. and so when this blind man when he uses that word as one commentator says he says other people saw jesus as a preacher and a miracle worker this blind man also saw him as the savior Somehow, through the work of the Holy Spirit, his eyes the eyes of his heart have been opened so that he might see the truth of who Jesus is. And then the last thing we recognize about this man here is that he declares in this statement his faith in that Savior. He believes that this Lord, this King, can not only give him physical sight, but can also give him far more, can give him life, real life. Believing is seeing. It was by faith that this man had cried out to Christ it was by faith that he was healed and it is by faith that he now takes up after he sees Jesus face to face the first person he ever sees after he sees him he gets up he didn't go home he didn't go to tell everybody about it he goes and he follows him his faith is now resting in this great savior and so, we've seen. Seeing is not always believing. Well, we've seen that, that believing is seeing. And then thirdly and finally in this passage, I want you to notice that seeing is praising. Seeing is praising. What's the result of all of this? This man has been blind for, for his whole life. Now he can see. And notice the crowds. It says they give praise to God. But they're giving praise to God, why? For the miracle that they've seen. Not, not because of Jesus, but because of what Jesus can do," it says this man. Walks away praising God, and he does for something far greater than just the miracle of sight. He has spiritual sight, and now he can do what he was created to do, what we have all been created to do, and what those who are resting in Christ will do for all of eternity. He can now go and worship the King. He can worship, friends. If, like this blind man, you have put your faith in Christ, if you have seen him with the eyes of your heart, then a day is coming where what the choir just sang about is going to be true. We are going to be changed already. The Holy Spirit is working in our hearts, changing us, making us new. There's a day coming where we will open our eyes, and just like this blind man, we will see jesus face to face often in funerals i will say who of the person whoever it is that person closed their eyes in death on such and such day at such and such time and when they opened their eyes what did they see they saw jesus they saw their savior now i don't know how that comes across i've I've often wonder how that actually comes across to people sitting out there i actually wonder that a lot about things but that's a side note um (laughs) It may come across sort of cheesy. It may come across like it's too good to be true. But friends, what we need to recognize is it's the reality of Scripture. It's what the Bible says to us to be absent from the body. is to be present with the Lord. Paul says one day we are going to see Him with unveiled faces. And on that day, Revelation says, He will wipe every tear from our eyes. He will welcome us into His presence. Not as slaves. But as brothers and sisters, we will come in as children. As we sit around the the great high feast of the Lamb. As we sit with our Savior for all of eternity. And we will worship Him. What a day. What a day that will be. I want to say right now with all my being. Amen. I want y'all to hear it. I want y'all to say amen. But say it in your hearts. Amen. Right? This is what awaits us. To see Jesus, that's the prize. It's not streets of gold as great as that's going to be. It's not that we'll get to fish for all of eternity. I've used that example before. I want to fish for all of eternity. But that's not the prize. Jesus is the prize. And he promises that if you're resting in him, when you take your last breath, he's going to be the first person you see. And so the question is, can you look forward to that day? Have you seen him even now through the eyes of faith? As we've said, it begins with an acknowledgement of your own blindness, of your own need for a Savior. It requires that you acknowledge who he is, King and Savior, the blessed Messiah, the one who will rule over your life. Requires that you cry out to him, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner results in lifelong, joy-filled praise. Today, have your eyes been opened friends? they can be. Pray to him, pray to this great Savior, this great Messiah, and be saved as we pray together. Father, we do rejoice in the truths of Scripture. We rejoice in the promises that you have given us. Uh, Lord, we, we live in a world that is often difficult and often difficult. Uh, we struggle through uh, but Lord, what what wonderful things you have assured us that we will see Jesus we look forward to that day we rejoice in that day even as we expect it to come but Lord we thank you that even now through faith through, through the eyes of our hearts we can behold him now even now and so Lord I pray for each person here I pray that you would help us to search our hearts help us to put our faith in this great Savior as this blind man does we pray that we would leave this place rejoicing, praising our King. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.